0: Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island, just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach. Or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid-back street and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at visitflorida.com.
1: Robert Overton Jr. is the Executive Director at the University of West Florida Historic Trust. He has over 20 years of public history experience, specializing in historic sites and museum management. He has worked for the UWF Historic Trust since 2002 and has served as the Executive Director since 2015. Welcome to the Journey Podcast, where I, Cy si Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Rob, let's launch straight into it. Like I say, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, You're the executive director at the University of West Florida Historic Trust. So you oversee the organization's operation of over 30 historic properties. Um, I think it's fair to say that, that usually Florida is kind of seen by tourists as a beach destination. I think that's fair to say. But there's so much more history to the area. Perhaps you could share a little bit about some of the organization's museums and historic attractions
2: happy to do that. And you're right, uh, the beach is the king in Florida, but we do have a wonderful history. And we're looking at, particularly in Pensacola and our museums, um, we have a museum of history. We have the Pensacola Museum of Art. We have the uh, historic Pensacola Village, and we also have a children's museum. And all of those work together to help tell the story and share the culture of Northwest Florida. Uh, Our story starts, we have Native Americans who were here eons ago, But our our modern story starts in 1559 with Tristan de Luna, a Spanish explorer coming in and doing a settlement, one of the early, the first European permanent settlement on the Northern Gulf Coast. It didn't last long because of hurricanes, but uh, we celebrate 1559 as our birth. In our Museum of History, we have actual artifacts from that Luna expedition that the archeologists, state and university archeologists have found. And one of the main ones that really draws everybody's attention is we have the anchor from his flagship, the El Jesus out, huge iron anchor Mm -hmm. that you can see how massive it is and learn the story of the Spanish coming into Pensacola and what was this wilderness and setting up a settlement that uh, again, ultimately failed after a few years, but it's a quite a story. They brought Aztecs from uh, Mexico in with them, that they thought would help them survive. There's like 1500 people came here and we can tell that story in our museum of history through the artifacts that have been recovered from the shipwrecks and the land settlement that they have recently found. So that's a great opportunity for us to really delve into that history. Not only do we have the history of, of, the Spanish explorers and and the early history of Pensacola. But uh, we take this history through that over 450 years in that museum. We talk about from the Spanish arrive and and pre-Spanish arrival all the way to Pensacola being the cradle of naval aviation and part of the space program even happening here in Pensacola. So really from the Spanish to the space age is what we cover in there. With a whole lot of detours in between that uh, a lot of curious facts and wonderful stories and the trials and tribulations.
1: Fantastic. You, you say kind of facts there and, and trials and tribulations. Do any kind of favorite facts, if any, do any favorite facts come to mind, any kind of historical tidbits that you could share with the listeners?
2: Well, um, you know, Pensacola has long, we talked about the connection with the military and the Navy. And one of the exhibits that we have in our museum, that is just sort of this local gym, but it has some international fame is we have an exhibit on a bar. The exhibit is on a bar that was a that opened on New Year's Day, 1951, and it's called Trader John's. Uh, The bar was famous or infamous for a while, but at one point in time, that bar was the number one tourist attraction in Pensacola. But many famous people have come through there. Trader John got his name. Uh, Martin Trader John Wiseman, who was from Brooklyn, came to Pensacola. He had been in World War II. He got his name because he would trade you military memorabilia for a bar (laughs) cap. You know, he sort of did this whole thing we call tradernomics. Depending on what you brought, that would be how many drinks you could get. You could maybe bring a patch off a uniform and that'll get you a beer. Or possibly you would bring in a a flight, a seat from one of the jets that had ejected. And that may get you a bar tab for a week. We have all those things in that collection. We've recreated that bar. It is near and dear to a lot of locals who went there. I talked about famous people going in. Um, John Wayne when he was filming on the wings of Eagles here in Pensacola, he was a patron of Trader John's. Uh, we've got uh, oh, Kenny man. G. We've got photographs with him and Trader and Kenny G, Brooke Shields. Bob Hope was a friend with Trader and he did a USO show out in, out in California and brought Trader onto the deck of the aircraft carrier to do that show. So a lot of people come in and see that. And that's that little hidden gem of local mixed with international history.
1: Fantastic. So there you go, folks. If you happen to have any ejector seats lying around, we know a bar in Florida that you can go and get. Your, well, is it still is it still going, Rob? I assume it's closed now.
2: It is. Unfortunately, it is not. Um, the bar ultimately closed in 2011 after the death of Trader John. You know, the bar was a great structure. It is packed with thousands upon thousands of items of memorabilia from the military, Spanning the years, uh, but he passed away and really his personality and the man was really what created that environment and people, once he was gone, it just never was able to remain open.
1: But you, but you preserved it as a museum, as an attraction, is that right?
2: We did. It's not in this original location. We took all the items, over 100,000 items that he had that people had traded him of military memorabilia from the bar. Uh, It took a circuitous route to get to us, but we have reinstalled most of it. I can't fit all of it in there in a gallery in our museum. And you can actually go in and experience what it was like to be in Trader John's, less the cigarette smoke and the smell of stale beer. um, and, And we don't have patrons in there. Uh, We do allow events to happen. So some of our military union groups come and use that, rent that out, use it. But uh, it's a great step back into local history that it's near and
1: dear to Pensacola. Fantastic. Well, we're on the note of, you know, visiting attractions and stuff. Are there any other particular favorite uh, kind of attractions, favorite museums that come to mind? Anything that you could share with the listeners that they might uh, what they might be able to expect should they visit?
2: Well, you know, you want a favorite. That's like me picking which one of your children is your favorite. But I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling you would say that. Pick pick a completely random one. How's that?
2: (laughs) Yes. Interesting thing about our museums. uh, None of the structures, none of the buildings were originally created as museums. We've adaptively reused many of our structures. So our history museum is in The 1908 Pensacola City Hall. It's a great Spanish revival building that is a a cornerstone in downtown. The other part, and I'm kind of picking something here that's a newer addition to our museum family, but it's not a new museum, is we have the Pensacola Museum of Art that Mm. was added recently. It is in, interesting part for an art museum, it is in the old county jail.
1: Brilliant. Um, We
2: still have bars there. Windows, but the building's just wonderful. They have a great collection of contemporary art that we've been collect that they've been collecting for a number of years. Uh, we have added some recent collect- pieces to the collection, and they really have a great feel for a really wonderful art museum in in, in Pensacola that you would not expect to have here. Uh, and we're very proud to have
1: that. Brilliant. Rob, let's continue our whistle-stop tour of Pensacola's historical museums, historical attractions. What other kind of places come to mind? What kind of favorite venues could you share with us today?
2: Pensacola Historic Village that we have, which is a collection of a couple of warehouse buildings uh, that creates the Museum of Industry and the Museum of Commerce, and then some historic house museums. It's a great way to come and spend the day going through and, and really going from early Pensacola, 1805, up to the... Um, 1920s, we've got the Lear Rocheblave house that they've got interpreted as a 1920s boarding house, which is what it was. And there's a little hidden gym in there. I probably shouldn't say, but on the back of the tour, you <laughs> might have to do a secret little knock and a, a spin around, and there might be a secret door that takes you into a 1920s speakeasy. But you didn't hear that from me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Exciting times. You didn't, you didn't hear that on the journey podcast folks, but there's a speakeasy waiting for you in Pensacola, Florida.
2: And on certain times, you might even be able to get a drink there.
1: Oh, even better. My kind of speakeasy. <laughs> Fantastic. Rob, let's, let's kind of move, move outside, as it were. One of, the, one of the big assets within the organization that you work for is the Arcadia Mill Archaeological Site in Milton, Florida, uh, known as the first 19th century water-powered industrial complex in, Northern, uh, in northwest Florida, excuse me. Can you share a little bit about the, the history of the site for us and share a little bit about what visit, visitors can do there? Well,
2: again, the uh, the site was set up in the 1830s because of the location and the availability of Pond Creek, which they dammed and made a huge mill pond, mm-hmm. and also because of the nearness to where the timber was. Florida, uh, Northwest Florida in particular, was filled with loads and acres upon acres of virgin yellow pine timber that was being shipped all over the world. So the Arcadia Mill archeological site is a 34 acre site of what was left of the original mill site that we have uncovered through our working with our archeologists, Parts of the mill process that was there. We've got the water flumes that were made out of local stone that were brought in and quarried there on site. You can still see those. You've got the foundations for the buildings. It was a huge site, uh, much more than the 34 acres that we have. But there was a three-story uh, textile plant, textile mill there. It was one of the first uh, opportunity, first. Incidences of making textiles and fabric in Northwest Florida, uh, bucket and pail factory, and even a gentleman, even a, a unique one that it was a gentleman by the name of Timothy Twitchell, who imported mulberry trees and was going to do a silk uh, processing, start processing silk. Uh, our goal, sort of what we're we're looking for, we'd love to find one of those mulberry trees out on that property. We haven't yet, but it ultimately failed, but. Again, he was making buckets and pails. There was a timber. There was uh, uh, the fabric that was going in. And you can see the foundations and you can see the lay of the land from there. None of the original structures are there, but we've got great interpretive signage going through a quarter mile of boardwalk that is through this natural wetland. So not only do you learn about the history of this industrial site and early uh, industry in Northwest Florida and see some of the archeological remnants, but you get to go and see what some pristine Florida, Northwest Florida wilderness looks like, the animals that are there, the trees, it's a wetland area. We've got a nice bridge going over. It's ADA accessible. So it's a really great experience and very peaceful. I love going out there because it's nice and quiet and you just kind of commune with nature. And then there's this wonderful story. I want to add a little bit to this story is when they did the textile plant, um, they were spinning cotton into fabric. The uh, owners of the mill went up to the northeast of the country and, and learned in New England of how they were doing this. And they came back in with the, the idea that women uh, were smaller in frame, particularly teenage women were smaller in frame and could work the spinning looms and the equipment better. So they purchased uh, teenage female African-Americans, enslaved the slaves, to run this bill. Uh, the general consensus was that, oh, the African-Americans could not do this technical job, but they proved that wrong. Um, so we do have that story as terrible as it is, but we also through the archaeology, archeological research, we have found where the slave quarters were and at one of the houses we have the old, uh, uh, farmhouse out back we have identified where some of the slave quarters were we've done archaeology mm, right. there so it's an off it, it's part of that history that we have that is not the proudest moment but it's also important to share that history that this was happening and the slaves were involved in making this happen and this was part of the part of the story of the arcadia it's
1: uh, wonderful thank you thank you for so much for sharing sharing that rob exactly as you say it's it's a, a dark time in the history of of the world globally. The Brits are, you know, absolutely to blame as well. Let's, you know, let's not forget that it was a dark time for for, for many many countries. But as you say, I think it's really important to kind of not fig- not try to sweep this under the rug and not pretend that this never happened. And it sounds like projects like the Arcadia Mill are kind of helping to, should we say, right some of the wrongs by learning just ex- just exactly what happened there.
2: So it is. There's a we also have a museum out there in a visitor center, so you can go and learn more about the story of the people there, including the people who worked at the mill, but also the enslaved. And so it's it's putting that human uh, uh touch into the story of what their stories were and what their lives were like.
1: Definitely, definitely. That's also I just wanna delve a little bit deeper into kind of Pensacola because I think I think it's fair to say that um a lot of people listening won't really be familiar with, with Pensacola and the story of Pensacola. We've touched on it a tiny bit today. But of course, Pensacola is um, the site of the first Spanish settlement within, within the confines of the USA as well as back then. Um, we speak a lot about kind of St. Augustine, which is arguably the, the oldest still lived in settlement. But Pensacola, you said that was kind of taken up by, by a hurricane.
2: It was. uh, As I said, 1559 was the first settlement, Spain's first attempt. Uh, We in Pensacola always call ourselves America's first place city. You know, St. Augustine have the crown of the oldest continuously occupied uh, city. So Pensacola, 1559, St. Augustine was 1565. But Spain really put all forth an effort to bring to make Pensacola a a viable uh, settlement. Again, eleven ships, fifteen hundred uh, people came here, laden with supplies. Probably one of the best, best funded supply and and, and efforts by the Spanish to come and settle in the Northern America. Uh, they had trials and tribulations on their trip here. They left Veracruz, Mexico, coming up, uh, sailed around out in the Gulf of Mexico for a couple months trying to reach here with livestock and people and and. Uh, They had uh, Aztecs uh, with them and finally landed here. And within seven days of them landing here and coming on shore, uh, a major hurricane hit and sunk all but four of their ships that were still laden with all these supplies that they were going to live on for the next year or two. Uh, The people gathered themselves together and what was left of them and eventually Mm -hmm. sent these four ships back to resupply. But it was a year or so before they got back. The settlement languished for about four years, and eventually they raised the flag and had to sail back to uh, Cuba. Then, you know, St. Augustine hit. But we were the first attempt and the first, the largest uh, attempt settlement. And there are still remnants of that here today. We've got the, as I said, the archaeologists have found the land settlement. We can find structure. We can find the foundations of some of the buildings. We found various items that they had, uh, clothing items, buttons, and, and, and tools that they used that had left behind the evidence that they were here. Uh, but Pensacola is quite proud of that. Rightly so. Pensacola was also in, a little known. Yeah. It was the site of an American Revolutionary War battle. In 1781, Leonardo de Galvez, who was a Spanish general, came into Pensacola to uh, remove, to chase the British out of Pensacola. Uh, The fort that was downtown Pensacola is where our historic village site sits. And by agreement, the British left the fort downtown and moved up to Fort George, which was on North Hill, take the high ground as the Spanish fleet came in. Uh, Galvez laid siege to Fort George. Uh, It took months, they dug trenches, they moved the mortars up, they fired shells back and forth. And eventually, according to legend and some history, uh, a lucky Spanish shot found its way into the British powder magazine and exploded (laughs) Fort George on the top of uh, uh, Gage Hill and uh, the British surrendered. Ultimately, this was included as part of a Revolutionary War battle because Galvez had had an agreement with George Washington that he would help relieve the British threat to Washington's south which was the Pensacola in that area, Pensacola Mobile. And in, as a result, years later, Galvez was named an honorary U.S. citizen. But uh, Pensacola played a part in the American Revolution.
1: Brilliant. Thank you for sharing, Rob. Ab- absolutely fascinating, folks. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, OK, we will be back after these messages.
0: Florida where the iconic Cuban sandwich and legendary key lime pie meet seafood festivals, craft breweries, and sustainable farm-to-fork restaurants. With a wide variety of local specialties inspired by an endless list of global influences, the Sunshine State's innovative culinary scene is now featured in the Michelin Guide. Enjoy freshly caught snapper at a mom-and-pop seafood shack, sip wine at a local vineyard, Or book a food tour and let your taste buds explore everything Florida has to offer. There's something for every palate. To whet your appetite and start planning your trip, go to visitflorida.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Rob, being very, very simple for a minute, I think a lot of people think of Florida and they think of wonderful beaches. They think of, you know, some areas to go to the Everglades, to go and see the manatees, perhaps. But the element of kind of, the, the pure history behind it is absolutely fascinating as well. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, let's kind of, let's move it towards a, a, a travel kind of element of the conversation now, if that's okay with you, Rob, because um, of course you work at the University of West Florida Historic Trust, but essentially you're also an inhabitant of Florida. Can you list a couple of kind of your favorite things to do in Florida outside of your work? Do you have any favorite restaurants? Do you have any places to go and, and spend your free time?
2: Well, you, you sort of hit that. We all love the beach and we do the beach and the water. But uh, the restaurants, I've really, I've been here for over 20 years uh, and I've really seen Pensacola come into its own with the local food scene. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. the abundance of the Gulf of Mexico. You've got the seafood markets like Joe Patty's. It's seafood that you can go down and get fresh seafood. But then the local restaurants really specialize in prever- preparing this. Uh, one of my favorites is the is the Fish House, in Pensacola Fish House, which is down on the bay on the waterfront, just not far from our historic village. Uh, they do a great job. My One of my favorite meals is you take about the local southern culture and the food that we have is their yaya. Uh, it's a grits and shrimp that they've got gouda. In and there's a to, to die for. Uh, but I love that place. We also have a pretty good barbecue scene. There's some several uh, hot spot barbecue here that uh, I love going to. But then there's a lot of, uh, we got a lot of great chefs who are really up and coming. Uh, we've got Blake Rushing over at Union Public House that just does some wonderful meals. And when you get these really good restaurants here and they start really, uh, you know, do going above and beyond, it inspires all the other restaurants to do that too. So we just, I can't really find a bad spot to eat downtown uh, and out in the community. But uh, like I said, the Fish House and and Union Public House are some of my favorites, and then Hotspot Barbecue. And then we've got a little hidden known gym. I probably shouldn't tell everybody, but they go to it. If you want the best burger you'll ever have, go to the Blue Dot in the Belmont de Villiers area, which is the traditional African-American community. The Blue Dot Cafe has the best burgers and they only serve them until they run out. So you have to get there early. But uh,
1: it's wonderful. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going to ruin that hidden gem for you, Rob. Sorry if, if sorry to, to, to all the other kind of Florida inhabitants who are now going, oh, damn, they're going to eat all my burgers. But sorry, what was the name of the place? The Blue Dot.
2: It's the Blue Dot Cafe. Uh, it's a it's a nondescript blue building, but you go in. You he only has burgers on the menu, and you can either get a burger with onions or without onions. That's how you. That's
1: order. it. That sounds absolutely fantastic, brilliant, and 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 grits yaya, right. Which I think they do things like gouda cheese on the shrimp and grit. Is that right? Grits yaya.
2: gouda cheese. Gr- shrimp, nice spices, it's just creamy grits and those wonderful Gulf shrimp that we have. And if you really wanna get a little out there and real Southern, you get you a side Mm -hmm. of soul rolls. Which are uh, egg rolls, but not egg rolls. They're made with collard greens and local seafood pieces, and you de- dip it in a peach chutney sauce that they have. Oh my
1: I lord! Mean, wow.
2: I could talk for hours about this stuff. I've got a love I, affair with those. That I food. could listen
1: for hours. This, this is brilliant. Um, so, uh, for the folks who might not know what collard greens is, I guess it's a little bit like a, like spinach.
2: Yes, it's it's a leafy vegetable like kale, like spinach, except it's got it's a little the leaves a little thicker, a little little tougher but it's got a, a wonderful flavor and it's very popular here in the
1: south and so you take those collard greens and you and you say you kind of form them into, a, into an egg roll is that right
2: they, they steam them and steam then them. put them into it like make them as like the the outside crust for the egg roll you put all the yummy goodness of the local seafood and some rice and things in it and you roll them up in this collard green almost like a cabbage roll except it's a collard green roll they call them soul rolls because collard greens are traditional African-American soul food.
1: Fantastic. Well, we've got mouths watering now. I don't know about you folks.
2: That's the food scene. I, I, if I could expand a little bit more on uh, other things to do here. Of course. Uh, for a community this size, Pensacola is really punching above its weight class when it looks at the cultural offerings. You know, I run the museums. We, I love the museums. I'm also involved with some other entities. But uh, Pensacola has a wonderful symphony. Uh, world class symphony here. They've got a great opera. Uh, people don't think about that, but some of the people who perform in Pensacola's opera have performed across the whole world. Uh, oh, they've been all over the country, all over the world performing. And then uh, we have a really great theater Pensacola Little Theater and the local theater guild just do some wonderful shows that they do. And then we do have a wonderful ballet. So you think of a community our size, having all of those cultural offerings. And there's many others that I didn't mention, but those are really uh, world class museums, world class ballet, symphony, opera. It's just I love going to all those things. And it's just the people are just so nice. And, you you know, you, I see a lot of the same people at those. And it's just this nice communal uh spirit here that we're always welcoming of others to come and, and we love showing off what we've got here
1: you, you're selling it to me very well Robert it sounds like a fascinating <laughs> fascinating place again I'm I'm going to confess I'm one of those people that has been to Florida and I stayed in the hotel over the road from Disneyland and I went to a conference in said hotel and then I went to Disneyland and then I flew home and I kind of hate myself for having done that but you know it was for work and it was done, but. Seems like there's so much, so much more to do beyond the obvious, let's say. So we, obviously we speak all about Disneyland. We speak about the beaches. But the, the food, you, you say there's having a bit of a kind of a revolution of food at the moment. And obviously the are. history and the, the, the museums. It's uh, My bucket list is, is growing and growing just as we speak. Well, unfortunately, Rob, we're going to have to start winding our way towards the end of our conversation today. But it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time. Uh, folks, if you want to learn more about Robert Overton Jr. and his work at the University of West Florida Historic Trust, you can go to uwf.edu. That's uwf.edu. And, of course, for just about everything else we've spoken about today, that's the museums and the Arcadia Mill site and the bar where you can pay with ejector seats and soul rolls. Uh, you can go to visitflorida.com for more information. Thank you so much for your time today, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, folks, you've been listening to Robert Overton, Jr., the Executive Director at the University of West Florida Historic Trust. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thanks. I've loved, enjoyed talking with you. Come come to Florida. I'll get you a food that burger.
1: Oh, I love it. I'll see you in that speakeasy very soon. How does that sound?
2: <laughs> Sounds great.
1: Fantastic. Thanks again, Rob. Folks, you've been listening to The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.
0: Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island, just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach, Or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid-back street and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at VisitFlorida.com.